Welcome back to the Bitcoin Layer. Today, I am joined by the one and only Lawrence Lepard, of course, a sound money advocate and investment manager at Equity Management Associates. Lawrence, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Joe. Great to be with you again. I always enjoy being on your show. Absolutely. We were we were just talking a little bit before we started recording, and uh, you know, this should certainly be a good episode. Definitely all encompassing everything from Bitcoin and the latest happenings over there, of course, with the political uh, scene and how that's shaping up. And uh, then the nitty gritty macro, right? The, the yeah, policy area. Yeah, there's a lot to there. cover. <laughs> Lots to cover. So, uh, so we'll dive straight into it, I suppose. The first thing I want to I want to chat about here is uh, RFK Jr. So, obviously, he went out and said that he wanted to back the U.S. dollar uh, with Bitcoin, and obviously that includes uh, U.S. dollar denominated debt. And I have a quote here. Uh, I'll share my screen so that you and uh, also the viewers can see it. Uh, but I'll start reading it. It says, my plan would be to start very, very small. Perhaps 1% of issued T-bills would be backed by hard currency, by gold, silver, platinum, or Bitcoin. So let's talk about this. What are your thoughts on this? Is this viable? Does this happen? Um, does this increase? Well, I mean, it, chances? yeah, it's, it's, yeah. anything's theoretically viable. I mean, given the people who are in power today and, and you know the odds of Kennedy being elected, I don't know how realistically viable it is, but but the notion is a great notion. And, you know, what's I, I'm sure the way you reacted to this, Joe, the way I did, which is, you know, oh, my God, here we have a, a major presidential candidate talking about sound money. I mean, whoever, you know, that wasn't on my bingo card, you know, for things happening in this in this election cycle. And, um, you know, even if he loses, um, just the fact that this is being discussed is really important, in my opinion. And because more people will hear it, more people will think about it, and maybe other candidates will have to answer, how do you feel about this issue, and so on and so forth. And as you know, I strongly believe that, you know, the unsound money that we have, that the money is broken, and that's why the world is broken, and all the problems that we're encountering in society, the base layer, it stems from the base layer being broken, which is the money. So this, to me, this is enormous. And when I saw Kennedy, I mean, we've kind of known Kennedy's been supportive of Bitcoin, uh, for a while now, so that's not entirely new. But to hear him talk about the U.S. moving the U.S. toward more of a sound money standard, Bitcoin, gold, whatever, uh, boy, that's that's big. It's it's a really big development. Before we get into it, a quick word from our sponsor, River. River is my favorite place to buy Bitcoin. They have zero fees when you dollar cost average and set up a recurring order, but they also have a proprietary cold storage solution so you can rest assured that your Bitcoin is held safely and soundly and not being lent out to counterparties. You can invest in Bitcoin with confidence today at river.com or click the link in the video description below for a special offer. And now on with the show. It is a big development and regardless of the chances of this this happening um, or even right. the viability behind it. I think the more important thing and the thing that you hit on is that it brings it into the national conversation. We haven't had a candidate Correct. that's talked about fiscal austerity. It's not something that candidates have talked about. Most candidates just talk about how they can give their constituents more money. But this is right. the first and a Kennedy, right? And we've talked about this yeah. before, that how how revolutionary it is that a Kennedy um, is advocating yeah, absolutely. for Absolutely. And, 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 and the only candidate in my lifetime that, well, in, in my later lifetime, I guess it, Goldwater was probably a sound money guy, but the only, you know, candidate in the last 30, 40 years that was notable in this area was Ron Paul, mm. who, you know, believed in ending the Fed and understood the problems associated with fiat currency. Uh, and he did as best he could in, with what he had, ran for president. But sadly, you know, he's kind of timed out now. And mm. um, so we need a new group of younger politicians to pick up the pick up the battle here. Absolutely. So 
we'll talk. I, I want to talk briefly about the uh, kind of the viability of this and the reason that he wants to do it, um, and then we'll mm. uh, we'll dive into a little bit of the macro here. Um, sure. So he says backing dollars and U.S. debt obligations with hard assets could help restore strength back to the dollar, rein in inflation, and usher in a new Amer- era of American financial stability, peace, and prosperity. Uh, and then he goes on to say he'll exempt the conversion to Bitcoin of Bitcoin to the U.S. dollar from capital gains taxes. What do you okay. think the implication of that is for uh, Bitcoin, the asset? I mean, if this does oh, it's happen, huge. Yeah. it's absolutely huge. I mean, he's more or less saying Bitcoin is money and you, you can't tax money. Um, and, you know, they've they've long taxed your gains and your capital gains in gold and silver, um, calling them commodities. And so if you invest in them and they make money, then that's a, a, an investment gain. And yet, realistically, the Constitution says gold and silver, only gold and silver can be money. Hmm. And so the notion that, you know, you're being paid, uh, you have to pay a tax on the appreciation of your money against the kind of money they create, which is the dollar, which, of course, is, you know, the ultimate, quote unquote, shit coin. Hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it's if, if he if he eliminates capital gains taxes on on sound assets, sound money assets, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. I mean, all of the things he's saying indicate to me that he quote unquote gets it with respect to how broken the monetary system is. I mean, all these words, these are, these are very standard talking points among sound money people. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, you know, I know that if we had sound money, many problems would be solved. There would be fewer wars. There would be no inflation, et cetera. Absolutely. I think it's, you know, it's massive and, uh, the capital gains tax elimination, makes it so that even if we can't return to fiscal austerity, which in the United States is seeming like a huge pipe dream at this point, considering our debt level, um, it allows the citizens in the country to escape that currency regime anyway. So if the US dollar is destined to fail as a result of our debt problem, doesn't matter. The citizens without taxation can then jump to a life raft. I think that's also one of the major pieces here. I agree. Completely agree. For sure. Beautiful. Well, let's jump into the macro of it all. Um, I have here the three-month 10-year yield curve, and this is, of course, uh, just one way of visualizing the huge policy error that the Fed is committing. Um, what are your thoughts here? That we're, we're about a week out from the Fed basically all but certainly hiking again. But what on the yeah. planet is going through Jerome Powell's head right now? Yeah. I mean, he's obviously trying to restore his credibility, which he lost. So, um, you know, he lost so much of it when when he said inflation was when when they when the covid reaction occurred and then they grew the money supply 42 percent and sent out checks to everybody. And, and, you know, the Fed took the view that inflation was transitory, um, you know, which was obviously just dead ass wrong. <laughs> um, and when it, when it was proven to be that he was dead ass wrong, he thought to himself, oh, I've got to I've got to try and restore sound money and, and my credibility. So. I'm going to pull a Paul Volcker. I'm going to I'm going to jack rates up really aggressively, and uh, and get this inflation thing under control, um, which is fine. Which is what he's done, and as I think you have a chart we're going to look at, inflation has come down, no doubt. Uh, I wouldn't say it's under control. There are a lot of data points surrounding that, but um, you know the 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 yield curve inversion is incredibly steep, and it's a it's almost a perfect indicator of, you know, a coming recession. I mean, you can see it in, you know, going back to the early 1990 period, but it also worked before that as well. So, um, and as Lynn Alden said, personal income is down, you know, year over year. And every single time this has happened since 1948, which is her data series that she used to develop that, 
you know, we've had a, we've had a recession, in many cases, a very severe recession. So, you know, in my opinion, this economy is living on borrowed time and there's a lot of denial going on. Another piece of data, I don't know if you have this or we should have, but is that credit card balances are growing very, very rapidly. And so I think a lot of people um, have suffered a hit to their economic well-being because their groceries cost more and maybe their, maybe their job isn't, you know, the wages aren't going up as fast as they need them to, et cetera. And, and what are they doing? They're living by charging it, you know, and, and uh, you can do that for a while, but eventually the balance gets too big. And um, by the way, concurrently, you know, interest rates on those cards are going up. I mean, the average card interest rate, as I recall, was in the teens, mid to low teens, maybe mm-hmm. five or 10 years ago. And now it looks like average card rates are up in the 20 plus percent area. And as somebody pointed out, you know, when you have a president who's from Delaware <laughs> and all the card issuers are Delaware corporations, you know, I guess usury laws just don't really apply anymore, right? <laughs> you, can, you can let the card guys jack the interest rates. So, so you know, it's, um, it's all of a piece, which to me says that this economy is rolling over and the Fed in their campaign to get the inflation under control um, they're going to break something else. And, and in fact, it's not as if it, that's a theoretical, they, they did break something else. They broke Silicon Valley bank mm-hmm. and a couple of other banks, ultimately a big bank, a GSIB, you know, credit Suisse. Yeah. Um, but they, they managed to put those stuff, those back in the box with this BTFP program, uh, yeah. which is fine. They, they, they calmed the herd down, but I, you know, I, I kind of, um, I was around very active as an investor and was short a bunch of stocks in the 2007 and eight period. And I, I had the Michael Burry trade on, not in the way he did. I didn't know what a CDS was, but I was short a lot of financial stocks. And uh, this period right now kind of reminds me of Bear Stearns failing in March of 2008. As you remember, the GFC was in September, October. So, you know, something bigger is coming, in my opinion. And, and Silicon Valley Bank was kind of the first domino to fall. And there'll be more, uh, you know, over the course of the next year. Indeed. So. Silicon Valley Bank first domino to fall. It's a good way of putting it because if you think about it, like, you know, if the inflation battle, and we'll go back to this chart here, and I suppose we'll start talking about it too. You know, if the rate hikes have done their job and, you know, bringing down inflation with it's, it's, it's arguable if it was even the rate hikes or if it was the, um, you know, fiscal surplus or, well, we haven't been in one, or if it was consumer expectations falling, we didn't even know if the rate hikes were what brought down this inflation. But now that CPI is closing in on its targets, clearly decelerating, now the rate hikes, the only, one of the only enemies left on the battlefield is these banks, right? These banks are holding right. um, interest rate sensitive assets, high duration, uh, even US treasuries. Right. And of course, BTFP has been made, but it's not like banks only hold treasuries. They also hold loans. And if those guys right. default because of higher rates, um, it, it seems like with these continued rate hikes, if the inflation battle is won, you know, it seems like banks are still in the crosshair from all this stuff. And that may be what the market is catching on to with this this level of yield curve inversion. I think that's right. I mean, I, I think and I, I know you've got a chart. We're going to go to it eventually. I mean, look, the you know, the there's easily another five hundred billion dollars of unrecognized real estate losses in the banking system. And in my quarterly report, which will be on Twitter tonight, um, we, we found a study that was done by a number of um, pretty impressive academics. And their view is that there's actually $2 billion or $2 trillion of embedded losses in the CRE market. And uh, if that's the case, you know, um, they, they actually computed that as many as 50% of the banks in the country could be technically insolvent, um, you know, if, if things were properly marked in today's world. If that's the case, 
uh, we've got one hell of a banking crisis coming up some point in time when those when those marks start to show up. Mike, yeah, here we go. Commercial property, right? Yeah, it's a big number. It's a big number. When you start getting into the trillions, it, it becomes a pretty big issue. And not to mention right. that of the uh, closing in on $3 trillion in outstanding commercial real estate loans, 70% of them are held by small banks. And so Correct. if you take that to its logical conclusion, then it's just further consolidation um, in death of those smaller banks, whether they end up failing and they, you know, those assets go the way of the dodo and it becomes um, a uh, uh, an FDIC thing, or it gets swallowed by one of these big four. It's just further consolidation into fewer and fewer banks and death of these smaller regionals. Right. And as you know, last time around, Janet Yellen managed to, calm, managed to calm everybody down and they didn't have to come through with a full guarantee of all the bank you know, deposits. There's 16, 16 to 17 trillion dollars of bank deposits in the United States, um, a large portion of which are uninsured, because if you're more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you're not the FDIC doesn't cover you. Um, and, you know, it would be I think in the next wave, it's entirely possible that you know, we see more banks failing, more problems, more depositors fleeing those banks and. You know, the Fed has to step in with something bigger than the BTFP, more aggressive, maybe a maybe a blanket guarantee of all depositors. And, you know, to, to guarantee $16 trillion of deposits when your Fed balance sheet's $9 trillion, I mean, you know, that's more than doubling your balance sheet, right? And so, I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's a real problem here, Joe. I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but, but uh there's, you know, for, for people who kind of look out there and say, well, you know, Silicon Valley Bank happened, everything's calmed down. It seems like it's kind of good. Stock market's making new highs. Uh, what may worry? It's all pretty good. And I'm kind of like, eh, feels like 08 to me. You know, yeah, it felt okay in the summer of 08 too, but the problems were all still there and they were just waiting to surface. And that's kind of, that's the feeling I have right now. Hmm. And it's a feeling that's proliferating too. I don't have the chart. I couldn't find it, but um, CMBS delinquency has risen uh, apart from, of course, the 2020 period, which was this sort of phenomenon, I suppose, um, with uh, the whole COVID crash, has risen to a uh, pre-2008 level, so like a 2006, 2007 level. Uh, and yeah. that's not good because obviously commercial mortgage-backed securities, they're not treated like pristine collateral anymore, like treasuries, but they oh. still represent a decent portion of, uh, of collateral for, uh, for global borrowing, not just US borrowing. Um, and it could, like you said, uh, set off this big chain of dominoes. And uh, that's going to yeah. be a big facility, much bigger than the BTFP, a big yeah, facility right. if the Fed ends up having to buy all that stuff. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, and then there's the U.S. government bond market, too. I mean, my report shows this. and We can talk about it. I mean, you know, it's as you as you're probably aware, the U.S. one year Treasury is now making record highs in the five, three, five, four area. I say record, I, I mean modern day record. Uh, Greg Foss corrected me on a podcast this morning. They were this high back in 1980 when Volcker was around. But, um, you know, we haven't seen 5% rates on the one year in a long time. And um, what that's doing is it's driving the government interest costs up. And so the government, you know, U.S. federal government interest costs are approaching a trillion dollar run rate. And that's up from, you know, three, four hundred billion not that long ago. And so, you know, it, it becomes a vicious circle, right? I mean, interest rates go higher. Um, everybody has to pay that interest. The deficits get larger as a result of those payments. And, you know, more bonds need to be sold. There are only so many buyers of bonds. Well, if, if more need to be sold and there aren't enough buyers, then what happens? The uh, interest rate goes up. Well, what does the higher interest rate do? It makes the interest high, costs higher and the deficit bigger. So, yeah, there you go. Perfect. Right. I mean, that's, 
you know, that, I mean, look at that chart. I, how does that end well? You, you know what I mean? <laughs> you generally, you know, generally speaking, when you're talking about a parabolic chart, you want to be talking about a stock price or something like that and not right. interest expense. Cause like you said, right. it's kind of like, it's kind of like an Ouroboros. It feeds on itself. Um, yeah, how on I mean, earth that's... do they fund this interest expense? They, they issue more bills and so on and so forth. Yeah. Right. And, and so, you know, what I think is that in spite of Powell's rhetoric and, and actions to date, he is he is going to hit the wall um, and enough things will break that suddenly. And, and, and by the way, he'll have some cover. He'll be able to go, turn around and say, look, inflation came down to three percent. It's headed to two. You know, so um, now a bigger problem is all these banks are collapsing. The economy is collapsing. We've got unemployment really going up. Stock market's down substantially. Uh, we need to take these rates down. We need to end this QT. Maybe we need to go back to QE. You know, all the all the kind of reversal things that you know will will keep the economy together, but in turn, you know, fuel the next leg of inflation. And one of the things I think I've said this on the podcast, but I think it's a very important point. You and I talked about it before the show. It's really interesting to me that in spite of this big tightening on the part of Powell, you know, over the last since I guess February of 2022 is when he started. So you know, what is it now, 14, 15 months, you know, gold and Bitcoin have kind of hung in there. I mean, Bitcoin is still the best performing asset this year, up 83%. You know, even gold's up 8% this year. I mean, gold is within 5% of its all-time high of 2050. It's kind of a 1950 area. And so, you know, typically, historically, with, with the kind of Fed tightening and interest rate jack jacking that they've done in the last year and a half, you know, gold would be getting crushed and Bitcoin could be getting crushed because, Everyone will be thinking, well, okay, so, you know, they're going to get inflation under control. We don't need these inflation protection assets. Well, well, no. I mean, that's not what's happening. I mean, admittedly, they've stopped going up, you know, massively. I mean, Bitcoin's not at 68,000. Gold's not at 3,000 yet. But but they've kind of hung in there in spite of a, a pretty aggressive tightening schedule. And my belief is that tightening schedule will have to be amended sometime in the next 6 to 12 months. And when that is amended you know, this stuff's just going to go crazy. I mean, this stuff being the sound money assets, because a larger group of people are going to say, you know what, they can just never stop printing. And that's what you and I and the sound money camp kind of fundamentally knows that this thing's like a shark. It's got a swimmer, it's going to die. You know, they, they got to inflate this system or the system implodes on itself. And so, you know, right now they're inflating it less because they had too much inflation. But eventually, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll come to the conclusion that the inflation has come within a, a reasonable range and all the other problems are bigger. And so they should inflate it again. And at that point in time, you know, Bitcoin will go through 150 and gold will go through 3000. So. Absolutely. That's, and that that's kind of my be... prescription of where we're going. The problem is, that, you know, that could be tomorrow. It could be it could be a year. I mean, they're pretty good. I have to admit they're pretty good at can kicking. And I further admit that. I thought when Silicon Valley Bank happened, I thought, okay, here we go. It's all over, you know, and yet they, they managed to find kind of an elegant, crafty way to kind of patch that up and not have everybody panic and, you know, put the, put the, you know, unspill the milk, so to speak. But, but I don't, you know, I think the bigger problems are still there and it's going to spread. And so, you know, they're, they're only delaying what I view as kind of being inevitable. Absolutely. I mean, the, the problem, right. Um, yeah. is, is the clashing need for uh, elevated interest rates in order to bring down consumer price inflation, not have that run hot. But that also runs counter to the fact that we're issuing a, a tremendous deal of debt right now to fund ourselves now that the debt ceiling has right. been raised. 
and higher rates clash with our ability to uh, to do that effectively. And BTFP is only a, a, a sort of the first, and what I imagine will be plenty more patchwork that goes over top of that to say, all right, we're going to rescue the financial institutions who are, you know, and absolve them from interest rate risk here. But then it becomes, right. how many other patches do you need, say, for like we discussed commercial real estate? What about, um, you know, student loans? What about uh, defaulted right. on private student loans? Um, what about defaulted on credit card debt, right? So all these facilities, you know, the Fed may just end up becoming the the player du jour that, that comes in and saves the day yeah. every single yeah, time. I love this chart. I mean, it's, it's an amazing chart, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's completely yeah. wild. And the, 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 the crazier thing is that this this was released by the U.S. Treasury. Uh, so James right. Lavish, James Lavish, a friend of the both of us, uh, put up this. Uh, he said, this is more likely what it's going to look like. And given right. that this chart that we just saw, I wouldn't imagine it would be too far off. But the actual projection from the U.S. Treasury is no, that. Even they say it's going straight up. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. 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 It's I mean, even Powell admits it like we can't keep doing this forever. And I'm and so in light of that, I kind of think to myself, OK, fine. So. How about somebody who's a statesman and kind of says, and by the way, here's how we here's how we might want to address that. I mean, you're not hearing that. And I guess I guess it's because in the game of politics, the you know, the name of the game is just kick the can. And as long as it holds together while they're there before they retire, you know, then they get to write a book and receive a Nobel Prize or something. I mean, you know, it's. it's Was that a reference awesome. to Ben Bernanke? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but. You know, look, it is what it is. It's the system we live with. And, um, you know, it, uh, I mean, I, my, my advice to my investors and to all investors in general is just don't take your eye off the ball, which is, you know, the debasement, as Foss says, the debasement is pretty much baked in and certain. Uh, the rate of debasement varies from time to time. So and you have waves. And, you know, right now we're in, you know, a little bit of a down wave in the sense that, I mean, money supply growth has fallen. Mm -hmm. um, to slightly negative, um, you know, the, the, the putting on the brakes has calmed down activity a bit in the economy, not as much as one would have thought. I mean, it, to me, that speaks to the fact there's just a lot of money sloshing around from 15 years or, you know, ZERP. I mean, it's, you know, we haven't even, in my opinion, those, those people say, well, we can have a soft landing, go back to the economy being good. I'm just like, I just don't see that because I think that we had an enormous bubble throughout the, you know, I don't know, 20, call it the, well, the 2009 to the 2022 timeframe. And, and it was the everything bubble. And, and you just can't correct an everything bubble with one bad year. You know, 2022, when stocks and bonds are down 20%, that, that doesn't do it. That's not a full correction. Um, there's still a lot of, you know, misallocated capital that got put to where it put because interest rates were zero that will not sustain, will not, thing, entities that will not survive in a five, six, seven percent cost of money environment, they just can't. Hmm. They just can't. You know. Yeah, much a much larger correction is due, right? I mean, it, like yeah. you said, 14, 15 years where entities uh, existed uh, off of zero percent interest rates, and even if they didn't rely on those zero percent rates, is still capital misallocation because Correct. of where those rates were. And there's, you know, like you said, twenty percent decline in stocks and bonds. That's not the correction that people should no. be looking for. It should be. You know, I don't want to say economic upheaval, but something closer to economic upheaval and snapping companies and entities that borrowed at zero percent rates back to reality, and that's going to result in a pretty big deleveraging, I suppose. Exactly, that's that's my belief, and 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 that process has only begun, in my opinion. And so I think everybody should, you know, 
fasten their seatbelt and hang on because it can be kind of bumpy. Here at the Bitcoin Layer, we're big believers in taking your Bitcoin into your own hands. And that's why we've partnered with Foundation Devices. Foundation Devices has created the best in class suite of Bitcoin cold storage solutions so you can take your Bitcoin off of exchanges with peace of mind, regardless of your skill level. If you're just starting out with Bitcoin storage solutions, you can download the free mobile app Envoy, which allows you to take your Bitcoin off of exchanges in minutes and rest with the peace of mind that your Bitcoin is held safely and securely. And if you're a little bit more advanced, if you'd like to take the next level, you can purchase one of their devices, the Passport. This is the best in class Bitcoin hardware wallet. It is extremely intuitive. You'll know how to use it the moment you take it out of the box. It is a sleek design, a very familiar interface. Start taking self-custody seriously by taking your Bitcoin off exchanges by visiting foundationdevices.com or by clicking the link in the video description. And now back to the show. Kind of bumpy. Yeah, that's a good one too. I mean, and there's one in my quarterly report again, I'll be on the Twitter tonight. I mean, it shows that after each of these increases, you know, the Fed had their own internal projections. It was one done by Ronnie Stofferly showing how they were going to wind their balance sheet down. I mean, I still remember it was out on recently on the, on Twitter, you know, Ben Bernanke telling Congress that he was going to take the trillion dollars or the $2 trillion of balance sheet debt that he ran up in the first QE and he was going to unwind it, you know, and he, he anticipated that happening within a year or two. And of course we can see how that worked. You know, and uh, and after each of these printing episodes, they talk about how they're going to unwind. I mean, they, they tried to taper it in 2018. They couldn't. You know what I mean? And so um, it led to a bigger one. And so, I, you know, the next blow up, in my view, again, we put this in our letter. I, I think the next, you know, the, the Fed balance sheet, the next stop is 20, 20 billion dollars or I'm 20 trillion dollars. You know, we're, we're just under nine right now because um, you notice that, you know, how quickly it happened. I mean, it took a while. Fed balance sheet was eight or 900 million billion back in 08, but pre the GFC. And we pretty quickly went to two. And then we kind of over a bunch of years crept up to three, right? You know, and then we crept up to four. And then, okay, then we tried to, then we tried to stop it for a while. Even took it down a little bit, but that didn't work. And then bang, we, something broke and up we went. And we're now we're at nine. And so, you know, I mean, you know, I'm no, I'm no, I'm no, I'm uh, no expert in pattern recognition, but I think I may right. have an understanding of where this is headed. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, that's exactly. It doesn't take you know a high level of education to see what's going on here. I mean, uh, um, they they cannot stop printing money. I mean, uh, well, I, I say I say that they could they could stop printing money and the economy would grind to a halt and we would have a depression or a downturn that was really very much akin to the Great Depression. I mean, there'd be massive unemployment, there'd be just, there'd be trouble everywhere. That could happen. I mean, just as when people look to invest in my fund, one of the things they ask me is what could go wrong? And I always answer with them, with, with, there's only one thing that could go wrong. Of course, they laugh because they don't think this is likely and neither do I. But I said, well, you know, if the government suddenly got incredibly responsible mm -hmm. and, you know, um, stopped all these military adventures, cut the military budget in half, stopped funding the Ukraine, um, you know, means tested Social Security and Medicare, uh, cut Medicare and Social Security benefits balance and balance the budget, truly balance the budget. Well, then there wouldn't be as much need for gold or Bitcoin. I mean, the dollar would have more of a sound basis on which to go forward. Um, but sadly, uh, you know, and, and I'm not saying those things can't and won't happen at some point in the future. They might. That might be one of the things they try to save the system. But I, I'd say today those things happening looks like a very low odds, long, long shot kind of proposition. I mean, this debt ceiling that we just, you know, reset 
to an unlimited number. I don't know if they've ever done that before. I don't think they have. But as you know, they, they kicked it out until January, early 2025, after the next presidential election. And they didn't put a ceiling on it. They said, we'll set a new ceiling out there. Mm -hmm. And the conditions that the Republicans demanded for doing that was to put a spending cap, not a not decrease, but a cap where it couldn't grow on 7% of the budget. So 93% of the budget remained untouched. But this one, this one, you know, certain things they, they, they pulled out and said, you can't grow these areas for two years. You know, those areas were only 7% of the budget. So, you know, to me, it's, it's just a joke. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the politics are such that, you know, there's no appetite for raising taxes. There's no appetite for cutting expenditures, none. And, um, and that's a recipe for continued currency debasement because somehow you've got to square the circle and, and really the only way to do it is to print the money to fill the gap. So. Absolutely. And I think that, um, that's also what's so refreshing about a candidate like RFK, even if yeah. it is a pipe dream, something like backing the U S dollar imminently with hard money. Um, it brings fiscal austerity into the national conversation. And I think a much yeah. better way of doing it exactly like you said would be to cut unnecessary spending. Why is our military budget bigger now than it was during any of the wars we fought over the course of the 20th century? Um, right. And we're not actively engaged in combat right now. Um, you know, it's these uh, it's these big things that the government uh, spends on and the inability of any candidate, whether you're a congressperson or a senator or even at someone working at the state level. Um, it's usually never to bring down government spending. It's usually to create a bill that institutes spending and then never repeal it. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, and then yeah. you become the problem for your own currency. Correct. That's exactly what's going on. And, you know, it's most unfortunate, but it is what it is. And so it forces the rest of us to analyze it and then come to our own conclusions about where to save our money. And I think the people who make the conclusion that, you know, Bitcoin is the, you know, is the, is the best form of money in existence today. And I believe it is. Um, and, and, and top of that, it's also, you know, under adopted and, and facing a really steep adoption curve. So that the two for combo of it's a great form of money, it'll have a lower stock to flow than gold at the next halving, et cetera. Um, you, you take that and you add onto that, the, you know, the adoption curve where, you know, maybe 10 or 15% of the world or the U S owns it today. And I think, you know, in 15, 20 years, everyone will own some because everyone will realize that it's the safest place to put your money. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's talk about here the uh, okay. the path forward for price inflation. Um, I want to talk about yeah. this, and then we'll talk a little bit about how the Fed's rate hikes are uh, sort of uh, kind of putting uh, consumers and businesses on the edge. Of course, you and I know a recession is a slowdown in economic growth, well, a, a contraction in economic growth, and now that. Uh, now that rate hikes are finally trickling their way through the economy, we're seeing it visible and inflation, and eventually we'll see it in consumers and businesses too. What's your take on the current, uh, you know, the the most recent prints of uh, consumer price inflation? This is the twelfth well, month in a row. Keep we've it, seen keep it, I mean, yeah. Let's let's start with the premise that all inflation numbers are kind of cooked, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and always have been. But but if you know, look, the direction and, and magnitude. I mean, it's you know, there, there is some data here that that has some usefulness and. Um, so the number came in at 3%, which was lower than expected. This is a headline number for last month. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was expected to be four. And a big part of that, as, as we all know, a big part of inflation is oil prices because gasoline is a huge part and energy, a big part of everyone's expenses. And 
keep in mind that this has partly been cooked because Biden has drained the strategic petroleum reserve. Mm -hmm. And so it's my belief that we are now in an inflationary world. We were not for you know, a long period of time from the, you know, 1980 when Volcker, Volcker did his thing all the way until the peak deflationary moment, which in my opinion was March of 2020 when the 10 year traded down in the 56 basis point area. Um, that was peak deflation. It was a blow off. And ever since then, we've been in an inflationary world and it's going to be it's going to be back and forth. There are going to be surges up and then a, a retrace and then a new surge up. If you look at the 70s, Tavi Costa has a great chart on her shows. There were three waves of inflation, each had a higher high and a higher low. And so, you know, pre 2020, I mean, if, if you recall the Fed back in the 17, 18, 19 period, said, well, inflation's too low. We've got a problem. You know, and that's and partly because we'd had 40 years of deflation. That's how they were able to, with a straight face, in spite of printing a ton of money and sending out stimulus checks, they were able to say, you know, uh, this inflation we're having is transitory. Well, no, it's not. And so I, we are now in an inflationary environment. This 3% gives gives Powell some cover, which he undoubtedly wants. Um, will it go lower? Possibly. I, you know, I'm not an expert on dissecting these numbers. Um, certainly, if the economy falls apart, you know, demand will go down and, and prices will drop and it will go lower. Um, having said all of that, I think a lot of it's going to be dependent on energy. And a macro analyst that I follow, I think is very, you know, just expert on this area is Luke Roman. And he talks a lot about, you know, the price of oil and the marginal barrel of oil coming out of the oil shale um, and fracking, you know, in the Permian Basin and so forth over the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, United States went from being a mar you know marginal producer of oil to pretty major producer of oil as a result of that, and yet those those fields are getting mature, and are having hard time you know staying flat, much less gaining production. And so, if one assumes that we're we're kind of at Hubbard's peak on oil, and and you know oil is going to um, be in shorter supply on a go forward basis, or harder to find on a go forward basis, that's going to be a big driver of inflation, in my opinion. And so. You know, I fully expect that when this downward impulse ends here at some point, that eventually, you know, it will it will reverse and go the other direction. Now, you know, the other thing about inflation is it's somewhat psychological. Um, if people think there's going to be inflation, well, there's going to be inflation because they'll rush out to buy things before the price goes up. Mm -hmm. Right. And also, you know, if your neighbor sees inflation and your neighbor's getting a pricing, a wage increase, well, then you want one. And, you know, two two data points on that front recently, I'm sure you saw them, was the airline pilots, United Airline pilots, I think got price, you know, wage gains of between 37 and 40% over a couple year period. It was like 18% in the first year. I mean, good Lord. I mean, I know I, apparently there's somewhat of a pilot shortage, but, you know, an 18% annualized increase in your wages, that's a big number, right? And of course, that was seen by the United Auto Workers. <laughs> the head of the United Auto Workers came out and said, hey, you know, all our all our union members are, you know, working their asses off building these cars and everything they buy is more expensive. You know, we're ready to strike, too, unless we get something similar. So, you know, set, what the thing the thing the Fed can do is, yeah, they can raise interest rates to try and calm down the monetary conditions, slow the economy down. But the fact of the matter is, if inflation's there and it gets into the wage equation, which it appears to be doing, then it's a real problem. Because, you know, if, if people want higher, you know, and the labor markets are pretty tight. And that's that's another problem unto itself. I mean, you know, we've got the exact opposite of the 1980s when all the baby boomers were entering the workplace. Now all the baby boomers are exiting the workplace. So, you know, you've got fewer younger workers and, 
I mean, as you know, talk to anybody who lives in the suburbs and tries to get an electrician or a plumber to come to their house and then look at the price of it. I mean, you know, these guys are killing it. Right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so it, you know, it, it's, um, there's a shortage of workers. So what does that mean? Well, it means people are going to be able to demand higher wages and get them. And, uh, you know, so, so I, I think we are in an inflationary decade. I think this is going to look very much like the seventies on, on steroids. And the 70s was when we coined the term stagflation, which meant, you know, kind of, um, you know, inflation without any growth. I mean, um, you know, maybe the, maybe the top line is growing. But remember, if, if you're selling the same number of widgets and the price per widget is higher, well, then you record a growing sales figure. But you didn't really sell any more widgets. You really there was no unit growth. There was no fundamental growth. And I, I could see that I could see a very slow unit growth environment with higher prices for everything. Um, and that's that's what we saw in the 70s until until they slayed that inflation beast. And, you know, interestingly enough, I mean, as you all recall, it took Volcker had to take interest rates up to 20 percent to slay that. I mean, we're at 5 percent right now and Silicon Valley Bank blew up. I mean, 10 percent would, I think, blow up the world. 20 percent would annihilate the world. So so I, I don't I don't think those choices are, are in their toolkit. So to be honest with you, Joe, I, I don't, I don't really know how the hell they're going to get out of this. I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, I think it, I think they're going to, my, my sense is they're going to print as necessary to keep the system going. And I, they're faced with two very bad possibilities. One is complete, you know, collapse. And I know they want to avoid that. Um, and the other is high inflation. I think they want to avoid that too. But I think when the, the choice is collapse or inflation, I think they'll view inflation as the less painful of the two choices the, the I think total so collapse too. yeah yeah the total collapse scenario they just can't let that happen they won't let that happen and we saw that in 2008 you know i mean it, you had you know the big tarp bailout and everything else they said oh the atms aren't going to work and i mean they just did what they had to do they printed the money you know in march of 2020 on the covid crisis same story you know the world's going to come to an end as, result, as a result of this virus if we don't print this money and they they printed ungodly amounts of money and so, you know, we're going to see another one of those and they're going to print more ungodly amounts of money. That's 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 my estimate. Now, you know, don't ask me to tell you the exact timing on that because nobody knows, especially not me. Um, Absolutely. You know, time and time again, that seems to be the solution because pe people forget they hate deflation um, almost as much as they hate inflation or even more. Well, that's right. I mean, inflation, people bitch with inflation, but. You know, if, if we get, you know, a complete economic collapse and in, in kind of a, in a pyramiding manner where people are losing their jobs and for they're not buying cars and for the car manufacturers not making like, you know, if, if we get massive layoffs, we have to remember, I think in the 30s, I mean, unemployment rate at one point was like 30 or 40 percent. I mean, the, the economy just wasn't working. You know, it was just everything shut down. I mean, the whole damn thing shut down because nobody had any money. Um, and of course, that's what led. Bernanke to do all the stuff he did and to vow that they would never let that happen again. Uh, he even had a speech about it and, you know, um, where he, he talked about helicopter money, you know, if, if need be, we can drop money from helicopters. So, um, and, and we saw that, I mean, look at the COVID. I mean, the, you know, the stimmy checks were a good example of that. Hey, this economy is in deep shit. We got to, you know, people don't have enough money. Everybody's hurt and everyone's stuck in their house. We need to send you a check. And, you know, I mean, universal basic income was talked about. That could come back. I suspect it will come back, you know. So having said that, all of those things are extremely inflationary, extremely. Absolutely. So.
so with these rate hikes on the flip side of the coin, um, of course, the other effect that uh, tightening lending has or, or t- uh, raising these uh, these interest rates, the Fed's policy interest rates, um, it tightens lending. And that's that's the idea, right? The idea is to, yeah. if you want consumer prices to go down, you you make it harder for consumers to spend. Let's talk about the state of the consumer then. Um, so this is uh, the senior loan officer report that comes out quarterly. And uh, this is basically surveying respondents, you know this, about whether they're tightening standards on consumers or loosening standards. Um, and we are currently at a net percentage of respondents that are tightening standards at a level uh, that is consistent with pre-recession, uh, pre-2008, even in 2019, this was rising, so pre-2020. And right now we are at that exact same level that is, again, consistent with this contraction of economic growth. Um, What's your purview here? Do you think that we're going to get a soft landing or do you think that with the state of the consumer the way that it is, do you think that we're bracing more for a hard economic contraction? I, you know, I fall into the hard crash camp. I mean, I, you know, but I could be wrong. I mean, soft landing is, is entirely possible. I mean, I, you know, there are, there are shock absorbers. I mean, one of them, for example, is I read the other day, that like 25% of the employee, 25% of the workers in this country are working for some form of government. And so, you know, they're not necessarily going to get laid off or lose their job. They're kind of locked in, right? Um, and they've got COLA increases. So, you know, it's it's not maybe as vulnerable an economy as it has been in the past. But, um, you know, my opinion is that when it tips, it'll cascade on itself fairly quickly. You know, I mean, um, the, you know, the, they're just, there will be, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's leverage on the way up and it's leverage on the way down. And everybody in this economy is carrying a lot of debt. Everybody's very heavily leveraged. And if that debt starts to go bad and people can't make their payments, you know, the cars get repossessed, the car prices fall, the auto manufacturers don't need to make as many cars, they lay people off, the people who get laid off can't make their mortgage payments, those houses get put up for sale. And it just, and it compounds itself. It's just one after the next. And you know, two very uh, good instances of this, and I think at smaller scale, but they were meaningful, are, you know, the, the dot-com bubble in 2000, which was really, you know, restricted mostly to technology stuff, but, you know, the NASDAQ went down 80%. U.S. stock market went down 50%. And the housing bubble of 08, where, you know, the housing, housing stuff went down 90%, some of the stocks, and the, you know, the, the, the stock market itself went down 50%, and overall general stocks. And you know, unemployment shot up and government deficits shot up and, you know, you had you had real, real pain. And I just don't see how this episode doesn't ultimately look like those two episodes. Um, it, you know, it may be taking a little longer. And, you know, in, in both of those cases, you know, there were precursors to the big to the big down. I mean, you know, and I was investing in both those because I remember 2000, March of 2000 was the top. And some of the really high-flying speculative stuff kind of started to blow up. But, you know, Cisco, IBM, all those guys, they were fine. And it, was, it wasn't until a year later that all the big names started to really fall apart. And so, you know, it takes time. The, the, the economy is an ocean liner, and you can't just change direction on a whim. And we've had a bunch of years of growth, and we had a bunch of financial stimulus in 2020. And there's a lot of money out there flowing around. And so... But, you know, the Fed's trying to sop it up with these higher rates and, you know, slowly but surely at the margin, people will stop doing silly stuff because money's not free anymore. And, um, you know, at, at the margin, I mean, think about just as an example, 
think of all the unicorns there used to be and all those dot com you know, companies and just just high tech companies out in California that weren't profitable, that were funded by venture capitalists. Right. Think of all those employees who thought they had millions of dollars in stock options and they had nice big salaries. I mean, I know some of these people because my kids have friends that worked in these companies. And now the venture capital's dried up and the venture capitalists are about to get their asses handed to them, right? Mm -hmm. And so the funding is dried up. And so if you're in one of those companies that's not making money, you know, your job's at risk, right? And so, you know, you had a pretty high paying, decent tech job and guess what? Now it doesn't exist anymore because the funding is dried up. And so, you know, you're not buying a car, you're not buying a house, you're not doing all the normal economic stuff. You know, you're taking a job, probably paying you less than what you were making, et cetera. So, you know, these things, it's, it, you know, it, it takes time for these flows to occur, but, you know, the, the, the wheels grind slowly, but they grind surely. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, so I, I mean, I, having watched, you know, I'm 66, I've been doing this for, since I was in my twenties, having watched a bunch of these cycles, I can just say with high confidence, I just know that's what's coming. You know, it, it, it's coming. It's, you know, it, it's taking a little longer than I thought, but it's coming. Absolutely. You know? Very well said when you said the economy is an ocean liner and, uh, you know, we're slowly but surely, uh, we're, we're making some kind of return. And you mentioned that, uh, you know, corporations, it's, it's the fragile ones that go first. Um, and right. then ultimately, you know, the, a lot of the damage is done over time um, to, the, to the less fragile ones. Right, right now, and we talked about this beforehand, this is what distressed debt looks like. So for the viewers yeah. at home, distressed debt means loans that are trading below 80 cents in the dollar and uh, bonds that are trading at a 1,000 basis points spread or higher to their corresponding uh, treasury bill, note, or bond. And uh, this happens as a result of traders opting for higher yielding instruments than the corporate bonds and loans they're holding. Uh, and this will make it more difficult for corporations to take on uh, take on debt when they need to, when they need to roll. Um, and given the fact that there is a um, several hundred billion dollar corporate maturity wall this year and next and next, this is a pretty disconcerting thing. What are your what are your thoughts on this as it, as it pertains yeah, I, to that? I couldn't agree more. I mean, this this chart is horrifying. And, you know, I mean, look, I mean, in when when you make money expensive, you know, everyone who's been borrowing money cheap and thought that was easy to do suddenly discovers, holy shit, you know, I got a problem. And so if they've got to roll their debt over, you know, one, they may not even be able to roll it. They may have to pay it back and they don't have the money to pay it back with. Or two, if they do roll it, it's not going to be as cheap as it used to be. And they're going to spend more money on it. And both of those things are, are bad for them, the personal balance sheet and whatever business they're in. So or the business balance sheet, whatever business they're in. So you know, I mean, and that's actually, it's, it's ironic. It's one of the sad things about what the Fed has done. You know, some of the problems that we've had with inflation are supply oriented problems. I mean, we had just bottlenecks and issues. We need more supply of certain things. Well, how do you get more supply of certain things? Well, you, you do, you spend CapEx to create, you know, capital goods that then give you supply. Well, okay. How do you finance CapEx? Well, either equity financing or debt. Well, when debt was cheap, it was easier to finance CapEx and bring on that additional supply. You jam the interest rates up and then suddenly, you know, it's not so easy to, to do to finance the CapEx and create the supply that you need to get the inflation down. So so it's not, you know, it's not as though these interest rates being higher is a definite guarantee of we're going to get inflation under control. I mean, they, you know, they, they're parts of you know, higher interest rates, which do slow the economy and which help get inflation under control. There are other parts which don't. I mean, the debt doom loop of the government. 
and the the difficulty of adding capacity, which is needed, you know, which you need to add. So the rate hikes are demand destruction focused, but they do not help with bringing supply back. They in. don't help with supply. No, they they actually work against that. And so, so I look at this chart as you post here, and I'm just I'm stunned at how big these numbers are, and I, and you know they're 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 dead ass serious. And you know I I'll bet when this is all over, you know half of that money is going to money heaven. You know, they're, they're going to be they're going to be a lot of people taking write offs on this stuff. And, uh, you know, and, and, that, and by the way, Joe, that, that's that's another thing I would add just on the overall economy. I think people forget how much people's spending habits are driven by their perceived level of wealth. And I think a lot of people in the middle to upper middle classes, their perceived level of wealth is kind of their retirement account, their stock account, you know, and they look at it and they say, well, OK, I've got X, X thousands in my, you know, my in my investment accounts and. Oh my, look at that. It went up, you know, 20% this year. Great. I'll take a vacation to Europe. I've got, you know, I'm doing fine. Well, you know, um, bring on the downturn that we're talking about, cut those stock accounts in half, which is what happened in 2000 and 2008. And suddenly that retirement account that you thought was nice and a certainty and growing and going to give you a nice retirement and you were comfortable spending a little extra money. And it's like, holy shit, we got to cut back here. You know, I got to make this car last longer. Europe, nope, that's off the table. You know, um, all those, you know, all those nice expenditures, I'm, I'm, I'm trimming those. So, you know, there's a in a, in a financialized economy the way ours is, you know, um, these all of these markets send signals, and and we we as human beings we tend to herd. You know, I mean, I I think one of the things is one of the fascinating herding behaviors that I've, I've noticed of late. And I'm sure you have too. Is the stock market's really recovered. I mean, if anyone had told me the stock market was going to come back close to its all-time high after it peaked in 21, you know, after it fell 20% in 2022, I'd have said, no way. I mean, I no way. Absolutely. It's impossible. And yet here we are. We're within a spinning difference of that high. And, and you know, all because of AI. And, you know, AI is going to change the world. And we've got this huge, huge product. Don't get me wrong. AI is really good. It's important. It, it will affect the world. But but not to the tune that it should make the stock market do what it's doing. And also, if you look at the stock market, as I'm sure you're aware, and many of your listeners probably are too, seven or eight percent, seven or eight companies account for most of that gain. Yeah, if you look at Dylan posted a chart yesterday, it was fascinating. It was mega cap yeah. tech is basically the entire stock market at this point. Right. That's right. And so, you know, look, I mean, to me, these are these are unhealthy signs. I mean, when you get when you get a market with very narrow leadership, the way, you know, and this is a long time ago, but I was around in the seventies, the nifty 50, you know, there are 50 companies that you just could, it, the, the thought was you could pay any price for this. It doesn't matter. They're the best companies in the world, you know, and, you know, forget about price. You just got to own these names. And of course that ended very badly. You know, the entire nifty 50 was down, you know, 50% <laughs> in, the, in the next bear market in 73. And, you know, it's, this has, this has, you know, it rhymes, right? The history on this rhymes. I mean, these these seven companies, look, they're good companies. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Google's a fabulous company. You know, some of the others are pretty good companies too. But, you know, are they worth the kind of prices and multiples being paid in today's market? Eh, debatable. You know, certainly debatable if the economy gets a lot softer. Right? Absolutely. And it won't be long before the mega cap tech names of today that are trading at a uh... You know, triple digit PE multiples will go the way of the Nifty Fifty as well. Arguably, at least a great deal of them. Well, they'll be, you know, they'll be, they'll be around, but they won't. They just won't be. You know, they won't be where they are today. I mean, you know, Cisco was the hot stock of the dot com era. 
and they provided all the right routers which built out the internet it was it was it was a thing of beauty it was a fabulous company but it traded up to just an enormous p multiple and price sales multiple and you know and then in the bust it fell that those multiples came out of it and it, it still hasn't reached its old all-time high it's still a good company but you know these these valuation bubbles you know that this is hurting right people just you know they 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 it's everything works until it doesn't <laughs> right and then it doesn't work at all so you got to be careful i mean that's that's the nature of you know of, of crowd psychology you know the um so absolutely everything works until it doesn't extremely well said lawrence before we sign off here um yeah is there anything else pertaining to financial markets the fed the economy hard money that you want to leave our viewers with um before we uh, no, I, off. no i would just i would just say to all viewers that um you know be very optimistic because this is a tough period i think for the country the economy and and you know we're in this fourth turning which is gonna a lot of turmoil we all know it you know politics etc and I, I would just say try to take a longer term view and, and take care of yourself and your family and recognize that better times will come as we come out the other side of this. But in order to come out the other side of this, we need to return to a sound money standard. And and that's what Bitcoin's all about. That's what gold is all about. And that's what those of us, you know, that's what Robert Kennedy is, is now talking about. Um, and so I, I think if anyone wants to contribute to that effort, that's a worthwhile thing to do, because the sooner we get to a sound money standard, in my opinion, the, the better off things will be for our kids and grandkids, which is certainly kind of why I'm working as hard as I work today, you know, so um, sound money is, you know, I, my byline on Twitter, and I think I stole it from Marty Bent, so I should give him credit, but my byline on Twitter is fix the money, fix the world. And I really do believe that's true. The, at the base layer, the money's broken. Fiat people have really, you know, they've screwed this thing up massively. They're, they've caused so much suffering in terms of inflation and the contillion effect and the way poor people have, have suffered at the hands of billionaires. I mean, it's, it's awful. It's absolutely awful, but it's, but it's going to end, you know, the good news, that's the bad news. The good news is it's going to end. And the reason it's going to end, there are two, there are two great technological innovations that get me more excited about anything else I've ever seen in my life. And they are the internet, which is decentralizing information and allowing Joe Rogan to be more relevant than CNN or Fox news, you know, and, uh, and Bitcoin, which is decentralizing money and allowing an alternative money standard the government can't screw around with and so that we can save and know that our savings won't be debased and and i i don't think today much of the world fully understands just how important those two innovations are but i think they're earth shattering and so i think in the next 10 20 years things are going to get so much better as the as those innovations roll out on a, at full scale so so I would say as, as bad as some of the shit is today, be optimistic. That's that's my message today. Beautifully said, and I'd have to agree with you there. Better times are ahead. Be optimistic, you know, control what you can control, fix the money, fix right. the world. Lawrence, uh, it's been a great conversation once again. Thank you, Joe. Um, Always enjoyed it. Yeah, someday we'll have to we'll have to have one of these and we'll talk lifting, okay? Oh yes, yes, yeah. We'll 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 uh we'll have you back on the show. And uh, we'll uh, we'll talk all things bodybuilding, but we'll we'll get a lift in at some point. We've been to so many conferences uh, at the same time and haven't gotten a lift in. Yeah. I don't know how, but one of yeah, these no, we got to do we got to do that. If you're going to Pacific Bitcoin, we always do a CrossFit wad. Maybe we could do a lifting wad at, at, out in uh, Santa Monica. 
Hell yeah, absolutely. I'll be there for it. All right, beautiful. Okay, Lawrence, nice chatting you, with you. Of course, likewise. Before we sign off here, where can people find you? Oh, I'm on Twitter under my name, Lawrence Lepard, and I have a website, EMA2, Edward Mark Alpha, the number two.com. Uh, my newsletter comes out quarterly. It's my, I should say my partner's in my newsletter. Dave Foley is my partner. It comes out quarterly, um, and it just talks about these macro things. And I run an investment fund focused on this. If you're a qualified or accredited investor and you can have an account size of over 200K, and I'm embarrassed it's that big, but that's what the SEC tells me it has to be. If you have an account size of over 200K and you want to inquire about that, happy to. We, we do take on new investors from time to time. All right. Phenomenal. Lawrence, thank you. You heard the man. Go give him a follow and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Great. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Have a good one. Likewise. Special thanks to River for sponsoring this video. Purchase Bitcoin with zero fees when you dollar cost average and know that your Bitcoin is held in a proprietary cold storage solution so you can sleep soundly with peace of mind. You can also set up a hassle-free turnkey mining service where they host a Bitcoin miner for you so you can invest in Bitcoin mining without having to set it up on your own. River is changing the game when it comes to investing in Bitcoin. They are the best in class solution. They're my preferred method for purchasing Bitcoin. Invest in Bitcoin with confidence today at river.com or get a special offer by clicking the link in the video description below. Again, a special thanks to our sponsors over at River. Have a good day, guys.